The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. As we dive into this uh, series, I, I want to lay a little bit of a foundation here. For, for the last couple of years, uh, I personally have been doing a Bible study. I hope you spend time in the Word of God on your own outside of church. And, and sometimes I'm studying the Bible for sermons and for messages and for lessons. Uh, but oftentimes I'm just studying the Bible for myself. And I just want to get in there and see what the Holy Spirit has for me individually. And so for the last couple of years, I've been doing a personal uh, Bible study. And in the process, I'm uh, taking what I've learned and I'm putting it into book form. And I'm writing another book. And the title of that book is called Blue Collar Gospel. And the tagline is Good News for Ordinary People. And so what we're going to do over the next few weeks is I want to share with you that Bible study and the content of the book that I'm completing or putting together for writing uh, that we want to make sure we get into your hands. And so I've had some people ask, well, what does that even mean? Blue-collar gospel? Like, why are you calling it that? What's the, what's the purpose for it? Well, uh, blue-collar in the dictionary is a term to describe the dedicated people who do manual-type labor, all right? These are the people who they build buildings, they create things with their hands, you know? Uh, they're the mechanics, they're the construction workers, they're the, the farmers of the world, and it describes those people who are, who are just intensely hardworking, they're kind of these no-nonsense types of individuals, and, and they really are folks that just really want to get to the point of things, you know, just put the cookies on the bottom shelf and tell me like it is. So with my book, Blue Collar Gospel, and in this personal Bible study, I, I wanted to have a conversation about the gospel that got into the trenches of where people actually live. So, so rather than discussing the gospel in purely liturgical and theological and philosophical ways, I, I wanted to have a conversation that talked about the gospel in the context of our everyday lives. Like, how does the gospel of Jesus Christ affect what I'm going to go through tomorrow at work and Wednesday in my marriage, you know, and Friday when the temptations come. Like, how does the gospel inform just the everyday, ordinary aspects of my everyday life? And so that's exactly why I've called this book Blue Collar Gospel. Just a, a conversation that really allows us to get into the trenches, kind of get our hands dirty on what it means to, to experience the good news. Now, because this is a little bit of a different service... I want to do something a little bit different. Uh, typically, at the end of the sermon, uh, we'll have a time that we call prayer and reflection. And it's an opportunity for us, just as a church family, to bow our heads and bow our hearts and, and really just you know, cry out to the Lord to pray and ask Him to use His Word by His Spirit to change us from the inside out. And, and what I'd like to do today is I'd like to reverse that. Uh, I'd like to take the opportunity before the sermon, uh, collectively as a church family, to go to prayer. And uh, so here's what we're going to do. I, I hope that you can allow uh, your heart and mind to be stilled, uh, to be quieted, to be filled with faith. And I'm going to ask you, as, a, as part of our church family, uh, just to lift your voices to God. And uh, all together, the, the, the Bible says that, that God's house is to be a house of prayer. And we're going to lift our voices, and we're just going to ask God to bless as only he can. And, and a couple of prayer requests that I would throw out at you. Uh, as it pertains to this series. One, ask that the Lord would use it in the life of our church to grow us spiritually. That's prayer request number one. Uh, prayer request number two is today, 
as I get to the real foundational basics of the gospel, that, it, that if there's somebody here in this room right now who has never placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone to be their Savior, if there's a person here who is not 100% sure that heaven would be their home, that I'm praying that today would be the day of their salvation. Today would be the day where they call upon the name of the Lord. I, I want you to pray that with me, number two. And then number three, as we have the opportunity to uh, see this work published, uh, pray that God would use it outside of our walls uh, to make an impact in other people's lives and people around our city and people around our country. And, and so I just would ask that we would take our voices, that we would lift them up to the Lord, and that we would pray and, and do exactly that. So in just a moment, we're going to pause the service uh, right where you are. We don't have to get up and, and move around. Uh, but I want to encourage you, if you're here with your spouse or if you're here with a friend, uh, would you pray with them? We're just going to take a minute or two here very quickly. But I want to encourage you to even just lift your voices up softly. I, I want to fill this room with the, with the prayers of God's saints. And, and whether you pray to yourself and, and on your own or you pray with a friend or a spouse, uh, let's just really fill this room with the prayers of God's saints and allow this place to be a place of prayer. Now, because this is the first service, I am going to take some time to lay a foundation. In fact, just to be honest with you, we're going to do it for the next two or three weeks. I want to lay just a solid biblical foundation for what we're going to be talking about and how the gospel of Jesus Christ can apply to our spiritual maturity or what theologians refer to as our sanctification, all right? And so I hope you'll allow me to do that. Inside your service program there, uh, I want you to notice, first of all, we're going to talk a little bit about what the gospel is not so that then we can talk about what the gospel is. Now, as I have conversations with people, I find that oftentimes in church world, there are two extremes that people's minds go to as they are trying to understand this concept of the gospel. And so I want to address both of those two extremes. First of all, uh, some people tend to believe that the gospel, and when we use the term the gospel, that we are referring to the entire Bible. We're referring to all of the scriptures. And as we're going to see over the next few weeks, that isn't entirely accurate, all right? Uh, some of the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, parts of the Bible are just historical narratives. They are describing what is happening and what's going on. Uh, other portions of the scripture are simply descriptive, all right? The gospel is not technically every part of the entire Bible itself. Now, now just to caveat this, because I don't want you to get the wrong impression, while all of the Bible, all Scripture, 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. So we believe that all of the Scripture is from God and every part of the Scripture is profitable. However, not every part of the Scripture is the essence of the gospel. Some is historical, some of it's narrative, some of it's descriptive, some of it's just telling you some context about the uh, nation of Israel. And though each part of the Bible may point to the gospel, and, and though other portions of the Bible might highlight the gospel, and, and some parts of the scripture will adorn the gospel, not all of the Bible is the essence of 
the gospel. And so the reason I say this is because as we go through the series, I'm going to be using the phrase, the gospel, a lot. And, and I don't want you to think that I'm simply referring to the entire Bible. I'm talking about something different than just the entire Bible. So this is one extreme. Some people believe that, oh, they, their understanding of the gospel is the gospel is all of scripture. And, and that's not exactly what we're referring to when we use this phrase, the gospel. Uh, here's the second thing we're not referring to. So that's one extreme that all the Bible is the gospel. Another extreme that tends to be common in churches is that the gospel is just the biblical truths that reveal how to be saved. So some people would say, okay, no, we know that not all the Bible is the gospel. Uh, we would believe that the gospel is the biblical truths that reveal how somebody gets saved. Now, if you're new to church world, that word might just kind of confuse you a little bit saved what are you talking about there's a lot of terms that preachers and pastors and theologians will use when talking about the concept of salvation uh, sometimes we will use the phrase of becoming a christian or knowing for sure that you're going to heaven or asking jesus into your heart or committing your life to christ or what theologians would refer to what what the book of romans would refer to as justification so there are biblical truths that reveal how we can know for sure that heaven is in our home and how we can live forever in eternity. These are wonderful truths. But I'm going to say this. The gospel is not just those truths. So the gospel is not all of the Bible, but it is also not just those principles that shows somebody how to get to heaven. Those are these two extremes in people's understanding of what the gospel is. So according to 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, we are going to get a, an understanding as to what the gospel actually is. So let me put a definition and then we'll go to our text here today. The word gospel, uh, kind of this ancient Greek word, euangelion, all right? It's a it's an ancient Greek word, and the word gospel in the original Greek language literally means this. Good tidings or good news. Raise your hand if you like to get good news. Raise your hand. You say, I like good news, all right? There is some great news in the scripture. So we could say it this way. We could say that the gospel, so if the word gospel means good news, then the gospel of Jesus Christ or the good news of Jesus Christ would be this. It is the good news that Jesus Christ lived a perfect life, died in our place, and then rose from the dead, providing us eternal life in heaven and abundant life on earth. This is what some theologians refer to as the gospel in a nutshell. The gospel succinctly. I, I want you to see this for yourself. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15 for our text today. For those of you who are physically able, I'd like you to stand as we read from our text this morning. If you're visiting with us today, I I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, inside that program, you have an opportunity to uh, turn in a connection card. I hope you'll do that on your way out at our guest tent. Uh, we have a gift that we'd like to give you, and I uh, hope that that'll be a, a, a blessing to you. We'd love to have the opportunity to give you some more information about our church and some of the things that are going on around here. 
But here's what the scriptures say in 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, verse number 3. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says this. For I delivered unto you first. All right? This, this is what Paul's saying. He's saying to the church at Corinth, hey, this, I've already told you this, how that Christ, he died for our sins, according to the scriptures. He was buried and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. So today, today I want to speak on this subject of the good news of the gospel applied specifically to salvation. That is to say this, if you're here today, and you are not 100% sure that heaven would be your home. If you're here today and you don't know what it means to have a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, I, I want to show you what the Bible says about how you can be 100% sure you're on your way to heaven. If, you, if you're here today and you didn't know that God gave us answers about how we could experience eternal life with his son, Jesus Christ, for all of eternity, then I want to take the opportunity from the Bible, not, not from our religious traditions, and not from my ideologies, but I'm just going to show you what the Bible says, all right? And you say, I don't know if I believe the Bible. I'm, I'm just here to say, I'm just going to share with you what the Bible says. And it'll be up to you to decide what to do with it. Like I said a moment ago, the gospel is more than just the principles that show us how to get saved, but it is not less than that. So that's where we're going to start this morning. We hope it'll be a help. And for those of you who have never seen from the scriptures how you can know for sure heaven would be your home, I hope today would be the day where you get that settled and you'd walk out of this room knowing 100% that heaven will be your home because of what Christ did for you on your behalf. Thank you for standing and you may be seated. Our theme for this morning is simply this. I stated it a moment ago. According to the Bible, Jesus is the way to eternal life in heaven. Now, we're going to spend a lot of time in the scriptures showing where the scriptures say this and how the scriptures say this. And uh, 1 John chapter number 5, verse 13 says, These things, the scriptures were written unto you that you might know that you have eternal life. Can I, can I ask you this question? Do you know that you know heaven will be your home? Are you 100% sure that if you were to die today, that you would spend all of eternity with God in heaven? Do you know that you know that you know? I want to say this. God wrote you a love letter so that you might know this for sure. And if you've never been to a church and you've never had somebody explain to you what the scriptures say about how you can know for sure that heaven would be your home, then I hope today will be the day for that. If you're here and you're like, I'm already saved. I've already placed my faith and trust in Christ. Can I encourage you to do this? Can you take some good notes today? Because I want you to be able to know how to share this good news with somebody else. I'm going to give you a lot of scripture references. I'm going to give you even a cheat sheet at the end of the service. I want to try to equip you who are already believers to share your faith with someone that you love dearly, a relative, a co-worker, so that we can all 
be bearers of this wonderful good news. So as we study these passages throughout the scripture that directly deal with the gospel of Jesus Christ, here's what we're going to see. We're going to see four specific implications of the gospel. If the gospel is true, according to the scriptures, there is four very real, powerful implications that reveal how to how we can experience the gospel more deeply. So in our Bible study, let's just dive right into it. First of all, uh, based on Ephesians chapter number two, we're gonna see that the gospel, the, the good news of Jesus Christ reveals, number one, what sin did to us. The gospel, the good news reveals, it's an implication of the gospel, it reveals what sin did to us. Uh, Ephesians chapter number two, verse one, gives us this in a nutshell. What, what, what did sin do, do to us? Ephesians two says this, and you, he, speaking of Jesus, you, Jesus made alive. Those of you who have placed your faith and trust in Christ, the Bible says as a promise to you, Jesus made you alive. Who were dead in your trespasses and sin? The gospel reveals, number one, what does it reveal? It reveals that you were dead. You were dead in your sin and in your trespasses. Let me give you a definition for sin. There's a lot of different ideas out there. The word just literally means to miss the mark. That's what the word sin means. To miss the mark. Let me give us a practical definition. Sin really is anything that is unhealthy to the body, mind, or soul of a human being and consequently not glorifying to God. It's to miss the mark. Now, you might be here today saying, I thought we were talking about good news. I thought we were talking about the good things that Jesus did. But can I say this? The good news of the gospel, one of its implications is that it reveals the bad. If if you were to, say, have cancer, would you want your doctor to see the report and then come to you and and not tell you so so you'd feel better? Or would you want him to give you that diagnosis? Would Would you want him to tell that to you so you could do something about it? I think most of us would say, I'd want, man, it would be hard. I I don't know that I would like it, but I'd want my doctor to tell me so I, I could do something to fix it or do something to change it. In much the same way, the good news of the gospel, it starts by revealing what sin does to us. One of the implications of the gospel is that it exposes sin to be a dangerous epidemic in our world. You see, it's the gospel that discloses the fact that sin infects our relationships, it contaminates our emotional state, it poisons our mental health. The gospel reveals what sin did to us. It's an implication of the gospel. And the scripture has a lot to say about it. And I know it's not politically correct for people to stand up and talk about sin. I know it's not popular in our society for a pastor or somebody to stand up and say, this is a sin, that is a sin. I realize it's not politically correct, but can I just quote scripture to you? Romans chapter number three, verse number 10, if you want to jot these references down to do a study later, Romans 3.10 says, there is none righteous. No, not one. 
The word righteous means right, like God is right. Perfect as God is perfect. The Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans chapter number 3, verse 23, is another passage that reveals the implications of what sin did to us. Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned. All. That word all is a pretty big word. It means everybody. Everybody has sinned. Can I, can I just say this? Everybody. I, I'm talking about every pastor, every politician, every church member, every priest, every pope, for all have sinned. Everyone has missed the mark. Romans chapter number 5, verse 12. Romans 5, verse 12. For as by one man, who's this one man? Adam. As one man, sin entered into the world. And so death by sin, so that death passed unto all men. For all have sinned. Here's what this verse is teaching us. It's teaching us that we have a bigger problem than just a behavioral problem. Some people think that sin, the, the problem with sin is just that it makes you do bad things. But it's actually deeper than that. It's not just that you perform sinful behaviors. The Bible says in this passage and many others that it's not just that you have a sin nature. The, the scriptures say that you literally, it's not just simple behavior. You've got a sinful nature that was passed down to you from your parents. Guess what? You can blame it on them. It's your parents' fault. That you have a sin nature. See, you have a sinful nature that your, your body and soul is contaminated with sin. Not because you have performed sinful behaviors. That's what most people think. They think, I'm a sinner because I've done sinful things. No, it's actually, it's actually opposite. You do sinful behaviors <laughs> because you were born with a sin nature. You have a DNA problem. You have a soul problem. The nature of sin. Romans 6 verse 23 says this. The consequences of sin is death. When we miss the mark, it creates death. Sin in our relationships brings death to relationships. Sin in our finances brings death to our finances. Sin with our schedule brings death to our lives. You see, sin contaminates the wages, the consequences, the penalty of sin is death. And wherever there is sin raging its ugly head in your life, mark it down. It's just going to be a matter of time before ultimately it brings death to that situation if something's not done about it. You see, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, it reveals what sin does to us. It gets even worse. Revelation chapter number 20 says this, and death and hell will eventually be cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death. It's physical death in our relationships and in our finances and in our emotions and our mental state, in our bodies, but eventually... It produces spiritual death for all of eternity, separated from God. That is the wages, the penalty of sin. If you want to write this down, this, this will help. 
kind of put this in a nutshell. Sin is the suicidal action of the soul against itself. When we miss the mark, sin is literally a form of spiritual suicide. The gospel reveals what sin does to us. Now, how many of you are sitting here thinking, I think you tricked us, Pastor. <laughs> you were supposed to be talking about good news. Why are you telling us this bad news? Because the gospel, one of its implications, it reveals what sin did to us. We saw it in our text just a moment ago. It says here in 1 Corinthians how Christ had to die for our sins. Christ died for our sins. So, so the gospel, number, number one, reveals what sin did to us, all right? Uh, Ephesians chapter number two, verse one, all right? Uh, we saw this a moment ago. Uh, sin reveals what, gospel reveals what sin did to us. Number two, I want you to see the second implication of the gospel. Number two, the gospel reveals what God did for us. Number two, the gospel reveals what sin did to us. Number two, the gospel reveals what God did for us. So if we're dead in our trespasses and our sin, what does God, our heavenly father, do? Does God, our Heavenly Father, look down and said, well, you, you messed it up. <laughs> oh, well. Is that what our Heavenly Father does? When, when you find yourself in sin in your life, in your behaviors, in your, in your, in your performances, what, how does God respond? What does God do for you? Does God say, well, here I am. If you want to get to where I am, you better, you better start climbing that moral ladder to get to where I am. Is this, is, this, is this how God the Heavenly Father responds? According to the Bible, the answer is no. Now, this can be confusing because most religions will tell you that to overcome your sin problem, there are certain things you have to do, certain hoops you have to jump through, certain behaviors that you have to perform to somehow get to God. And depending on the religion and depending upon the denomination you're from, the list is always different, all right? So I don't know your religious background. I don't know what denomination you're used to coming from. But every church, it seems like every denomination and every religion has its list of to-dos, uh, hoops you have to jump through in order to morally get to God so that you can stand worthy in the presence of the divine. This is what makes Christianity so different. Religion tells you to do this and do this and play moral hopscotch. It says do. But Jesus says this. While the religion says do, Jesus says done. On the cross, he says it is finished. Jesus did not say, I am finished. <laughs> he says, it's finished. What? 
everything that needed to be done for you to be saved, to experience eternal life in heaven and abundant life here on earth, all of it has been done. That is the good news of the gospel. You see, the gospel reveals what God did for us in the midst of our sin. He doesn't give us a checklist and say, hey, you gotta get to me. No, he sent a savior who came down to us to do what we couldn't do for ourselves. That is the good news of the gospel. Romans chapter number five, verse eight, if you wanna jot this verse down, the Bible says, God commendeth, God gave, he, he proved his love. That's what this word means, commended. He proved his love. How did God prove his love? In that while we were yet sinners. Not after we got our life cleaned up. Not after we jumped through the moral hoops. Not after we got our act together. No, he said, while you were sinners, in the middle of your sin, when you still had the junk, and you still had the problems, and you still had the struggles, in while you were sinners. Here's what God did. He sent Jesus. He sent Jesus to die for you, to take the punishment of your sin. If you've never heard this, I'm telling you what, it's some of the best news I could ever share with you. Jesus is God in the flesh. According to John chapter number 10 and a myriad of other scriptures. God came to this earth. He didn't give us a list to say, hey, here's a ladder so you can get to heaven. No, God put on human flesh. Just like you woke up this morning and put on clothes, God woke up 2,000 years ago and robed himself in human flesh. He walked among this earth, and they called him Jesus. They all, that's why the scriptures refer to him as Emmanuel. The word Emmanuel means God with us. Jesus, because he was God, lived a perfect and sinless life. He never cheated. He never stole. He never lusted. He never struggled. Even though he was tempted in all points like as we are, the gospel says, he, anything you've been tempted with, Jesus was tempted with too. He was tempted in all points like as we are, but here's the difference but he did not sin. So he lived this perfect life that you and I could never live. He was spotless, he was pure, he was unblemished, he was righteous. He lived a perfect life. And this is important, we'll get back to why it's important in a moment. And then he went to a cross and he died. The scriptures tell us that he was treated like a, a cruel prisoner with what the ancient Romans used to call the cat of nine tails. They whipped Jesus back, tearing up his flesh. They ripped out his beard. They placed on his head a crown of thorns. They caused him to suffer. They inflicted pain. Why? Because he did something wrong? No. He was taking the punishment and the penalty that your sin deserved and he took it and placed it upon his own shoulders. He literally took the death that your sin deserved and then in its place gave you his perfect life. His perfection. It's called the divine substitution. 
He took the death your life deserved and gave you his perfect life, his perfect righteousness, and placed it upon you. The divine, the divine transaction. But he didn't just die on that cross between two thieves. The Bible says he was buried, and not for one day, not for two days, but for three days he was dead. Not partly dead, not mostly dead, dead, dead. And three days later, we celebrate it as Easter Resurrection Sunday. He rose from the dead. He rose. You say, how did he rise? Because he was God. He rose triumphing over death. In resurrection power, he overcame death. He overcame the power of sin, proving he had power over death, proving he had the power to take you to heaven, proving that he had the power to give you abundant life here on earth, and he takes your unrighteousness and placed upon himself his perfect righteousness. So let me share this. I think it's in your program guide. So when we look at the cross, you and I, when we look to Calvary, when we see what Jesus did on our behalf, looking at the cross, we begin to get a, an idea of the fierceness of God's hatred of sin. And, and I don't want to sugarcoat this. God hates it. He hates it. Not because he's some weirdo in heaven. No, because he knows sin is unhealthy for your body, your soul, and your mind. And he hates what it does to you. He hates how it destroys your relationships. He hates how it destroys your finances. He hates how it destroys your body. He hates how it destroys your soul, how it destroys relationships. It doesn't bring glory to him. And so he hates sin. You see, looking at the cross, we begin to get some idea of the fierceness of God's hatred of sin. But, but we also get an idea of the tenacity of his love for sinners. God loves. that sink in. He loves you. He hates everything that makes your life unhealthy. He hates those things that rob your joy and steal your peace and strip you of the ability to love and be loved. And that's what sin does. But he cares for you. He loves you. Here's what Romans chapter number 6 verse 23, you want to jot this down. Romans 6, 23. Yes, the wages of sin is death. There's penalty for sin. But but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Get this, my friend. God has a gift for you. It's a gift. How many of you like getting presents? Anybody here like getting Am I the only one who likes getting presents? I like presents. I should, probably shouldn't admit that. I like presents. I like gifts. Got given some gifts this week. I mean, I'm just thankful. I like a present. God says, I've got a present for you. I've got a gift. Now, here's, here, here's something you've got to understand about a gift. And I think most of us understand this. 
you don't have to pay for a real gift. If you've ever had a friend give you a gift, and then after he gave it to you, kind of stuck out his hand like, he wanted you to pay for it, mark it down, that, weren't, that wasn't a gift, right? I don't know what it was, but it wasn't a gift. A gift is free. It's free. And so is eternal life. So is salvation. It's a free gift. And please, there have been religions for thousands of years who have been trying to brainwash humanity into thinking salvation is something you have to buy or purchase or earn. And it's a lie. Salvation always has been. Salvation is and salvation always will be a free gift that you don't have to buy, you don't have to pay for, and you don't have to earn. You don't have to be worthy for salvation. Because Jesus took your place. He took all of your sin and he gave you his perfect righteousness. And so you are worthy, not because of your behaviors. You are worthy because of the imputed righteousness, the perfect righteousness of God placed upon you. That is what makes you worthy. It's the gift of God is, here's this, eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's a gift that God has for every single person here today. It's eternal life. If you've never heard this before, it, it's right here in the Bible. God has a gift. It's called eternal life in heaven with him for all of eternity. It's a gift. It's free. You don't have to jump through hoops. You don't have to play moral hopscotch. You don't have to fill out a checklist. You don't have to join this church. You don't have to be a member of a particular denomination. You don't have to adhere to some religious principle. It's a gift all of grace that you get by simple belief and faith. So, the gospel, number one, what are its implications? It reveals what sin did to us. Number two, it reveals what God did for us. Number three, the gospel, thirdly, reveals what Christ did in us. And we've, we've alluded to this throughout the sermon. Galatians chapter number two, verse 20 says this, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, get this, but Christ lives in me. I want to say this again, Christ lives in you. If you have placed your faith in Christ, if you believe what we're talking about, Christ lives in you. 2 Timothy talks about this in 2 Timothy 1 verse 20 but is now made manifest, all right, the salvation made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, notice this, who abolished death. This is what Jesus did on the cross. He took death for humanity and hath brought life and immortality through the gospel. He brought life and immortality through the gospel, through the good news is how he brings it. So let me say it this way. Jesus doesn't just make us better. There's this idea in religion. Well, Jesus, you know, you kind of got your life and Jesus makes you better. Jesus don't make you better. The Bible says you were dead. And everything that was going to come out of your life was just going to be death. You were dead and Jesus made you alive. Jesus doesn't make you better. 
He makes you brand new. You're a new creature. So, I want you to see this. The Bible says in Romans chapter number 10, verse 9, this is what God makes available, Romans 10, if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. Notice all the things that are not on that list. If most religions were to have written that verse, it would have been a very long verse. All the things you got to do to have eternal life. No, here's what it is. Confess with your mouth, believe in your heart. God raised Jesus from that, you'll be saved. Romans 10 verse 13. Whosoever, this is anybody. I don't care what your background is. God doesn't care what you've done in your past. It doesn't matter what's on your resume. The Bible says, whosoever. Anybody can experience this gift. Regardless of your past, regardless of your sin, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Guys, let's not make salvation more complicated than the Bible does. Anybody. And I know there's some people sitting here and you feel so guilty over your past. And there are some of you sitting here and you feel so unworthy because of what you've done. That it's keeping you from just accepting by faith the reality of what God's word says. Your own doubt, your own fears, your own guilt, your own shame keep you from simply accepting the grace that God has available by faith. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is what Christ does in you. He makes you brand new. So what are the implications of the gospel? The gospel reveals what sin did to us. The gospel reveals what God does for us in the midst of our sin. The gospel reveals what Christ did in us. We were dead and he makes us alive. Lastly, the gospel reveals. Fourthly, what are the last implications of the gospel? The gospel reveals what the Holy Spirit did through us. The gospel reveals what the Holy Spirit did through us. Ephesians chapter one, number 1, verse 13, if you want to jot it down. You can study this later. Ephesians 1, 13. In whom also you trusted. So the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, saying, hey, you trusted in Jesus. After that, you heard the word of truth. You, you heard the gospel of your salvation, is what this verse says. Now, he, notice this. In whom also, after you believed. What happened after we believed? He's going to tell us what the Holy Spirit did. He says, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Get this, this is big. The Bible says, after you believe, the Holy Spirit makes a promise to you that your salvation is sealed. That you are saved. Anybody who was authentically, biblically saved, according to these passages and many more, are always saved. Some of us refer to it as the doctrine of eternal security. And I know there are some confusing passages in the scripture that, that seem to indicate, well, maybe, maybe we don't stay saved, and I'd love to have a conversation. We've preached sermons on this before. 
But according to this passage and many other, when God gives us eternal life, you know how long it lasts for? Eternity. <laughs> Hence the name, eternal life. There's a reason Jesus didn't refer to it as life until you kind of mess up. <laughs> I, I say it this way. The Holy, the Holy Spirit pursued us when we were dead in our trespasses and sin. He will certainly not forsake us in our moments of weakness and struggle. He'll not forsake us. And, and we can have conversations about this, and maybe for some here, oh, this is, there's, there's, you, you, got, you got questions about that. That's okay. It's okay to have questions. Let's talk about this. Let's, let's meet about it. I, I want to. The Bible, I just, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You say, well, that's going to give people a way out, and they're going to be able to live any way they want to. And I'll say this, when somebody has authentically experienced the depth of God's grace, they don't, they're not looking for a way out. They're looking for a way deeper in. They're not looking for a moral loophole if they're authentically saved. looking for ways to spend more time in the presence of Jesus, the one who gave everything for them. If you know people who are looking for moral loopholes, that might not mean that they lost their salvation. What it might mean is they were never authentically saved in the first place. The gospel reveals what sin did to us. The gospel reveals what God did for us. The gospel reveals what Christ did in us. And fourthly, the gospel reveals what the Spirit did through us. Some of you know my story. I, I was raised in a pastor's home. Literally from nine months before I was born, I was going to church. I, man, I went to church, I mean, all the time I went to church. Sometimes I joke with people. I say, man, when I was a, a young child, I, had, I actually had a drug problem. I was drugged to church on Sunday mornings. I was drugged back to church on Sunday nights, and I got drugged to church throughout the week. I mean, I just always, I was drugged all the time to church. But can I say this? Going to church since nine months before I was born is not what got me my salvation. My dad was a pastor who preached the word of God, but the fact that my parents were believers and good moral people is not what got me my ticket to heaven. I grew up in church, and to be honest, I could have quoted what I shared with you today, probably these verses, when I was nine or ten years old. But the fact that I could quote these verses is not what got me my salvation. When I was four years old, I... I I saw some other kids, you know, praying a prayer, and I, I prayed it with them, but I didn't know what it meant. I just kind of was going through the rituals of something, and, and from that point forward, I, somebody would have asked me, hey, are you saved? Are you a believer? I would have been like, yeah, when I was four years old, I said this prayer. It was more ritualism, though. It wasn't authentic. It wasn't faith being expressed in the person of Jesus. It was just rituals. I grew up in a Christian family. Like I said, my father was a pastor. I would say, some of you knew me when I was younger, I would say I was a fairly moral child. Now, 
I, I did have a little, I had some energy issues, but we can we'll look over those for a moment. But generally, I'm a pretty decent kid. I don't, I don't, I don't think I ever murdered anybody. I didn't rob any banks. I was, I was pretty good, but the fact that I was good through my younger years is not what got me to heaven. I remember one, one week I went to teen camp. Where I was having fun playing games, and, and, and a preacher got up and, and preached a message that, that talked about what I'm talking about this morning, just what salvation is. And boom, like a, like a bolt of lightning, the Holy Spirit just gripped my heart. It was as if the Holy Spirit was saying, you've never personally placed your faith in Christ. If I would have ignored that, and continued living a moral life for 20 years. And then when I got to be 40 or 50 years old, robed it all up, some of you would say, oh, Josh lost his salvation. The reality would have been I never actually had it. But that's not what happened. I remember day after day, I'd hear, and man, I don't know what it was, but this particular preacher, it was like he just wanted to keep preaching the same thing. I don't know if he knew like what I was going through, but he just like gave the gospel like five days in a row from every different angle he could. And I remember every time just like, like resisting it. Here's why. I was proud. And I didn't want people at my church to know that I had never been saved. That would be embarrassing. It would have been humiliating for me to have to go, say, I've never been saved. I, I'm going to get baptized now. And they're going to be scratching their head thinking, man, you're... You're, the, you're a pastor's kid. And to me, in that moment, the enemy was using that, my pride, the fact that I might be embarrassed to keep me from making a decision. And guess what? I made it through that whole week. I kept pushing it off, pushing it off, pushing it off, pushing it off. I left camp, and I, I was like, I made it. And then would you know it? I got back that Sunday. We had a guest peach preacher in. And he preached the same thing again. I'm like, man. And that was it. I was like, you know what? I just got to surrender. And it was that day, on July 15th, I personally placed my faith in Christ. And in that moment, I experienced the grace of salvation. Nothing to do with the fact that I went to church my whole life. Nothing to do with my family. Nothing to do with my parents. Nothing to do with how moral I had been. Nothing to do with anything. It was that in that moment of faith that I experienced grace. And from that day forward, I've continued to experience the grace that only Jesus Christ can provide. You see, as we said earlier in the sermon, according to the Bible, Jesus is the way to eternal life in heaven. This is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. So here's our takeaway. If I could take this whole really long sermon and put it into one phrase, here's what I want you to walk away with. And I'm not even going to give you my own words. I'm going to give you the words of Acts 16.31. Here it is. Here's my takeaway. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's my takeaway. If you're here today and you're like, it's too simple it's too easy. I want you to humble yourself, throw off your pride of thinking you've got to do something to be worthy to God, and simply accept his free gift that he makes available. Believe what the Bible says about the gospel, and 
be saved. Now, so here's the question. Have you ever placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to be your Savior? Have you? Maybe you're like me. You've been to church for years. You've been coming to this church. You're like a regular attender around here. You're a pretty good person. Your parents are pretty good people. You're pretty moral. And yet the reality is you're sitting here and you're going to church, but you're not saved. The fact that you've been coming to this church for three, four, five years is not what makes you saved. You say, but I joined the church. Being a member of this church doesn't make you saved. You say, but I'm a good person. I've raised good kids. I, I, I give money away to help people, and I put money in the offering. That's awesome. That's great. It's not what makes you saved, according to the scriptures. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved. If you were to die today, are you 100% sure heaven would be your home? Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? On your way out, our ushers are going to put something in your hand. It's like a little cheat sheet. Because for some of you, like, you're like, oh, man, I need, to, I need to kind of think about this a little bit more. I'm going to put something in your hand just called good news, and you can read through it on your own later if you're really wrestling with this. For some of you who are believers, I'm going to give this to you, and I want you to use this as a cheat sheet to share with your loved ones and your friends, and it'll give you all the verses I just shared a moment ago, and so you can share and tell somebody else about the good news of Jesus. Or if you're like, I don't know that I could do that, then here's what you do. You take that, and we're going to give it to you. You go give it to somebody else and just be like, read it. <laughs> okay? If that's all you can do, then do that. But let's get the good news out. Next week, we're going to look at how the same gospel that saved us, the same framework of what sin did to us, God did for us, Christ did in us, Spirit does through us. We're going to see how that same framework also plays out in your struggles in your everyday life. It's the same process. It's going to give you victory in those areas. We're going to unpack that here a little bit as we move through this series. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.